right, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Y'all glad to be here today? All right, all right, here we go. Uh, hey, uh, let me tell you something that I did this week that's brand new. Never did it before. I started to follow National Geographic on Instagram. Has anybody followed National Geographic on Hands up if you follow National Okay, three people. That's great. Okay, I got a few more. All right, very good. Well, uh, you're going to want to do this because it's really cool. In fact, here are a couple of pictures that were posted just this morning. They got some cool out of space pictures and some things from just random places around the world, kind of known for their pictures. National Geographic started in 1888. Handful of men that had a passion for science and exploration. In fact, about nine months after they started, they published their first magazine, which of course they're known for their National Geographic magazines, and they used the proceeds of that to fund uh, expeditions. And uh, still today, they have magazines that are sold all over the world, but of course now they're a big deal. They're not National Geographic, they're Nat Geo. Of course, that's a hip way of saying it. And they have multiple channels on cable that you can get National Geographic 24-7. And of course, they have Instagram with 120 million followers. Plus one, because I just, I just joined. So just one. And so that's a lot, of, a lot of people following National Geographic. Probably what they are most known for, though, are their wildlife documentaries. How many of you remember the National Geographic wildlife documentaries back in the 80s, maybe? All right, some of y'all, a few more hands up there. There we go. So the one that I liked the most was the, the African savanna, right? And you have the, the lion pride, and they're just kind of hanging out looking for lunch. And usually the lions, by the way, they're pretty lazy. I mean, they don't really want to get all their energy up for... for uh, they're not going to chase around everything. Let's just put it that way. They're going to wait and they're going to watch and they may watch a herd of wildebeest go by. They won't do anything or a herd of antelope or zebra go by. They're not going to do anything. But uh, that what they're looking for is that one animal by themselves, right? That one that's a little lower on the IQ test that's going do, 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 right? Through the savannah and that one that's isolated, that's the one they're going to go for. And you'll see that lion start to crouch down and in the, in the grass and he's getting ready to pounce, right? It just makes your hair stand up on top of your head. If you had hair, it would make it stand up on top of your head. And, uh, and then he attacks, right? He attacks because they're alone. You see, it's really dangerous to be alone in the savannah in Africa. It, it is life or death to be separated from the herd. Same is true in your life and in my life. You know, the Bible says in uh, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Why? For your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. See, what, what he's saying is this. A detached life is a dangerous life. A detached life is a dangerous life. When you're separated from the group, if you're all on your own, you are vulnerable to attack. You're vulnerable to dangers, dangers that you may not even overtly perceive are there, 
And a detached life is a very, very dangerous life. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're in a series called Do What Matters. We said if you want a life that matters, you've got to do what matters. And we've been looking at what really matters in life. What are the things we need to really get a hold of? And so we said knowing Jesus matters. We said worship matters. But today we're going to talk about uh, living life together. Living in Christian community. That really matters. And I want to show you why it matters. I want you to get your Bible and open it up to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is going to be a passage that really shows us how we were created for community and that there's dangers involved when we are not in Christian community. Why living life together matters, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 19. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one at your seat. And we want everybody with an open Bible, open heart, ready to receive from God. Amen? And uh, a page out, paper out, pen out, ready to take down things that God speaks to your heart. All right? Hebrews chapter 10, beginning verse 19. This is the word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Really what he's saying here is that a detached life is a dangerous life. Now you may say, well, Craig, that, you know, Scripture doesn't say anything about danger here. I don't see any passage that says anything about danger. And that, that it's true, but, but listen, if you look at the whole book of Hebrews, then you find He's warning about danger all the way through. You see, the, the writer of this book is writing a letter to Christians who grew up in their Jewish faith and have now recognized Jesus as the Messiah. And so they are now clinging to Christ. They're brand new Christians. They're serving Jesus as their promised Messiah from the Old Testament. However, because of that choice, they're suffering persecution. Some of them were, were, were put in prison. Some of them had the confiscation of their property. We find that at the end of chapter 10. Uh, many of them were, their lives were in jeopardy. Some of them were in danger of falling away from the faith because they're like, man, it's not worth it. It's not worth all the pressure. I'm just gonna go back. And, and so he's constantly warning them to not do it, to not quit, but to pull together and to stand with each other in Christian community. That's what the whole book is about, and that's really what he's talking about here in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Basically, what he's saying is this, you're under attack, you need each other. By the way, you're under attack too. You're under attack every single day, aren't you? Every day, you're under attack with, uh, with temptations that are not godly. You're under attack from, uh, from just distractions in your life. You're under attack from hardship and trial that can eat away and erode the foundation of your faith. You're under attack every single day from a spiritual enemy that prowls around looking for someone to devour. And so what do, what do we do? We have to have each other. You were not created to live this Christian life all by yourself. We need each other. 
You need the church and the church needs you, okay? And so that's what he's talking about here. Now I want you to notice in verse 19, the very first word in verse 19 is what? Somebody say it out loud. Therefore, right, therefore. Now there's an old adage in Bible study that says whenever you see a therefore, you need to look and see what it's therefore, right? You gotta look and see what it's therefore. So it's always a reference to something that he's already said. So if you were to go back up and look at verses one through 18, I'm gonna summarize it for you. This is what he's saying. He's saying that Jesus did something that no one else had done. Remember, he's talking to people that grew up in Judaism. And he said, you know what? You went your whole life going to the temple regularly, offering sacrifices regularly, going to the Day of Atonement regularly, offering sacrifices over and over and over, but those sacrifices could never take away your sin. That's why they kept doing them over and over and over. They could never once take care of your sin. But he said, when Jesus came, he did what no one else could do, and then Christ came, he offered himself, his own body, as the ultimate sacrifice. That's why Jesus is often called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, see? He is the ultimate offering, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Lamb that once and for all takes away our sin. Now this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Would you agree with that? This is really good news, that Jesus Christ has done it all. In fact, I want you to look at verse 10. He says, uh, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. That's it. We don't longer offer sacrifices. Christ did it once for all, and his sacrifice covers our sin and makes us right with God. And that's why in verse 17, God can make a promise. Look at verse 17. He said, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Listen, the Christian life is not about you trying harder to get God to accept you. The Christian life is about acknowledging what Christ has already done. See, the Christian life is spelled D-O-N-E, what Christ has done. Every other pursuit, every other religion is spelled D-O, what I do, what I do, what I do. But it's all about what Christ has done, that Christ has paid it all. His, his sacrifice makes you clean. His suffering brings you joy. His death gives you life. And his resurrection gives you hope, all right? That is what the Christian faith is all about about. It's about what Jesus has done. And so that's what he's talking about. Then he gets to verse 19 and he says, therefore, because of that Jesus has done it all, because you don't have to do anything else, because you're not working for this deal, because of that, therefore, look at it, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. He's, he's using all these uh, Jewish analogies. He's like, all right, uh, Christ has made a new way for us. There was a curtain in the, in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies where God dwelt from the people. He said that separation has been torn. And just as Christ's body was torn, that veil was torn, and now we have access to God. We can come boldly into his presence. We don't have to worry. We don't have to fear him. We can come because of what Christ has done. That's an amazing thing. We have the access to God. And he said, now we experience the love of God. We have a high priest, right? Not a high priest that offers up sacrifices that doesn't even know us. But Hebrews 4 says, a high priest who is not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but knows our fail failures, knows our faults, knows our struggles, 
who loves us and forgives us and cares for us. That's what we have. He said, because of all that Jesus has done, we need to live differently. We need to div- live differently. Francis Sperry Schaefer said, uh, the, the philosopher, he said, because of what Christ has done, how then must we live? He asked that question, how then must we live? Well, the answer to that is we should live like people in the church. Really, this passage is about the church, the beauty of the church. The church is not just some good organization, kind of like Kiwanis, you know, or a fraternity or sorority. The church is God's idea. God established the church. God uh, is the one that brought the church to being. Uh, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's his idea. And we are a part of the church if we know and love Jesus. And this is why the church matters. You know, all the way through the Bible, uh, there are these images to describe what the church is like. All right, these word pictures. For example, uh, one word picture is the church is like a body. Right? And so it's like your body, you've got fingers and toes and uh, innards, as we would say uh, in West Texas. And, uh, and you've got all this stuff that you're visible and invisible, but it all works together with these systems to, to have one person that accomplishes something. He said, that's like us. We've got all these different people, all different backgrounds and nationalities, but we all work together to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And we're like a body. In fact, you hear people call the church the body of Christ. Also, the church is like a bride, like a, you ever seen a, a bride come down the aisle and the groom and just watching her and he's just so enamored with her beauty and he loves his bride the same way Christ loves his church that he bought with his own sacrifice. Sometimes the church is called a building and it's like different pieces of a building that are fitted together to make something spectacular in the same way you and I are fitted together and we make a temple that honors God with our lives. But my, my favorite description of the church is a family. You know, just like you're born into a family, when you give your life to Christ, you are born again into the family of God, which is the church, right? Now, every family's got that weird uncle, right? And that strange aunt, you know, and all that kind of thing. You know, we, have, we are all, you know, their family, their squabbles in the family, but we're all in the family. We're all a part of the same family. And he said that, This is what we are. We are a family together. Just imagine what it'd be like to not have a family. Imagine if you were orphan and you didn't have a mom and a dad, you didn't have siblings, you were all on your own. Imagine if you were living on the street like that. Imagine the dangers that would come, the the evil influences, the people that would take advantage of you, the threats that are seen and unseen that are all there waiting for you if you're all alone. But if you're in a family, you're protected. If you're in a family, you're cared for. If you're in a family, you're known. That's why God puts you in a church family. See, the church needs you and you need the church. We're all one family together. And that's why we need Christian community to protect us from the dangers that we may face. And you say, Craig, what, what kind of dangers are you talking about? What, what danger is there if I'm not connected to a church family? Well, I wanna give you three of them. They're right out of this passage, okay? And these are very, very important. These are dangers you will face if, if you are not connected into a local church. Here's the first one, the danger of drift. The danger of drift. What that means is that you will slowly drift in your walk with God 
if you're not connected into a church family. Have you ever, ever drifted before? You ever been like out on your little floaty out at the beach and you kind of get relaxed and you maybe doze off for a minute and you wake up and boy, you're just, you've drifted way down the beach. Not even sure where you are. You got to get on land and walk your way back. You know how much effort it takes to drift? Zero, right? You just got to lay there, right? And you're just going to naturally, naturally drift. And that's the way it is in your spiritual life. It doesn't take any effort to drift. In fact, it happens without you even really perceiving it or recognizing it. Uh, you, nobody really wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to drift from God today. I'm going to have three things I'm going to do today to drift from God. Nobody does that. It's just that you kind of begin to, you start off with a heart for God and really loving him. And then slowly, man, I, we got this ball game this weekend. And then we got this other trip. And then, man, we got to get to the lake house. And then we got this other deal. And, and yeah, boy, we haven't been there in three weeks. Wow, man, it's been six weeks. You know what? It's been three months since we've been down. You know, I bet they don't even remember us anymore. No ever called me. You know, I used to go to church down there. You know, it's been years since I've been in church. It just happens like that, slowly slowly drifting. If you take a coal out of the fire and you set it by itself, it will eventually go out. And if you take a Christian out of community and set them by themselves, their fire for God will eventually go out. And you say, well, Craig, that's not going to happen to me. But listen to you, I've logged in enough hours in life as a pastor to say it could happen to you. Because I've seen it happen to many, many people. People that I love, people that I care about, slowly but surely began to drift from God. You know, in the Christian life, you're not static. You don't just stay in one place. You're either growing or you're shrinking. You're either advancing or you're retreating. You're either driving forward or you're drifting away. So which one are you? Are you growing? Would you say, man, I have really grown in the last six months. I, I mean, I, I'm walking with God more. I'm, the word is alive to me. God's using me in a powerful way. I have a heart for the lost. I, I'm, I'm, I'm living on mission. I mean, are you really, I mean, I, I'm asking an honest question. Are you, would you say the last six months you have grown or would you say over the last six months I've kind of stalled out, maybe drifted backward? Listen, what do you do when you're drifting? Well, this is what Hebrews talks about. Look at verse, uh, look at verse 22. He said, this is what you should do. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's he saying? He's saying we need to draw near. You know, most of the time when we drift, we drift by virtue of spiritual amnesia, right? We just kind of forget why we're here. We forget uh, who we are in Christ. We just get distracted on our job or distracted on school or distracted on other things and we forget our eternal purpose and we forget what God's done for us. And so he said, we need to draw near. That is, we gotta get together and draw near to God. That, that may happen in worship. That may happen in Bible study. That happens when you get on your knees with some Christian friends and you pray for each other, but you draw near to God. Let's draw close to God. Let's take this to God. Let's lay this before God. And as you do that, then you can't drift because now you're anchored back to the Lord. 
Your drifting doesn't happen because you're drawing near. You're reminded of your assurance of your faith. This faith is really real. You're reminded that you are clean before God, that he's washed you clean, that he's made you a new person. You're, you're reminded of all these things because someone is helping you draw near. Listen, you need Christian community. You need it because if you do not have it, drift will happen in your life. And you'll find yourself drifting further and further away from the Lord. And God knew you needed it, so he put you in a family to keep you safe. Here's another danger that every one of us will face. Not, not just the danger of drift, but the danger of doubt. The danger of doubt. Because there are always times in our life when we go through seasons where we start to doubt if, if God even cares, if God hears, if God's even there. We all go through seasons of life when we start asking these hard questions, these, these essential questions, and, and we need people around us to help us navigate through even our doubts. You know, one time Jesus was um, exhausted from a full day of pouring out and teaching and ministering and healing, and he was just exhausted. I, I think there's great biblical evidence to show that Jesus was, was physically drained by this type of ministry. And so when he got into the boat to give him instruction with his disciples to go to the other side, he quickly passed out in the back of the boat. He was exhausted. And so these guys are just rolling and, and going to the other side. And suddenly the wind picks up, the clouds shift, the sky grows dark, the waves begin to swell and a storm began to come and they're fighting against the storm. And it really gets pretty serious very quick. I mean, life-threatening serious. And they cried out to Jesus and they said, Jesus, don't you care what we're dealing with? Don't you care? And of course, Jesus rebuked the wind, rebuked the waves. It went deathly still and quiet. And they marveled, who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And then Jesus asked him this question. He said, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? You see, all of us have been in that boat. We're all in that boat. It's easy to trust God when things are great. <laughs> when jobs are great, kids are great, life is great. It's easy to trust God. God's good. But I mean, when, uh, when things are not good, when tragedy strikes, when things go terribly wrong, when you cry out to God for an answer to prayer and it doesn't come, when you are fighting for your life, fighting for your marriage, fighting for your job, fighting for your kids, and things don't look like they're getting better, it's easy for us to ask that question, God, don't you care? Don't you see? Why don't you respond? So how do we deal with situations like that? When we are doubt, doubting God, doubting God's goodness, what do we do? Well, look at, look at what he says in verse 23. He said, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. I want you to underline the word, hold on. What do you do in, when, the, when the boat is rocking? You just hold on. You know, Liz and I were in Colorado for just a few days this last summer, and we decided to go whitewater rafting, all right? This sounded like a great idea, right? 
And uh, so we get in there and we pay out and then we, they, we get on our life jacket, you know, that we squeeze into and then they put on the goofy helmet and they give us the little oar and they give our orientation. And they said, now here's what you need to do. When you get in this rubber boat, you need to stick your foot up underneath the seat of the other so that it will stabilize you. And, and then there is, notice there is a cord or rope tied around the perimeter of this raft. That is there so that if you fall out, you can grab a hold of the rope and then hold on. All right. Now that doesn't provide a lot of comfort for me because I'd probably be the guy tumbling out of the boat, right? But they said, we just grab the rope and hold on. Folks, when you are in, when you're in the waves, when you're in the storm, when things are not making any sense to you, we need to hold on. But sometimes we need to hold on to our faith. We need to hold on to God's promises. That's what he says. Look at it again. He says, hold on to the confession of our hope. Hold on to what we know is true without wavering. That literally means without leaning. In other words, you don't lean to your doubts. You lean on each other. You don't hold on or cling to your doubts. You cling to what you know is true. The hope of your salvation. The promises of God. And you hold on to each other. Listen, when you're in a group and somebody says, you know what, I just don't know. I don't understand why this is happening. I, do, I just don't know that. I, I don't even want to read my Bible anymore. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to do anything because I just don't understand why this is happening. What are they saying? They're saying, I'm losing my grip. I need somebody to hold on to me. We all need that, folks. We all need that. We need sometimes for people to say, look, I know that you're struggling, but I got you. And we're going to be with you. And we're going to pray this through. And we're going to trust God. And we're going to hold on to each other. We desperately need that. And if, you don't, if you're not in community, you don't have anybody holding on to you. And nobody helping you hold on to the Lord. Listen, there are dangers that are real. A detached life is a dangerous life. You have the danger of, of drift. You have the danger of doubt. Let me give you one more, and, and this may be the summation of all of them. That is a danger of discouragement. Eventually, sometimes we just get so discouraged, we quit. I honestly think that discouragement is the Satan's number one weapon against us, right? Because if he can get us discouraged, then we'll stop trusting God. If we can get us discouraged, then we'll stop sharing our faith. You know, discouragement comes to all of us. These moments, these quitting points, when we think, you know, is it really worth it? I was reading an article this week about Brad Pitt. He has a new movie coming out at the end of this month where he plays uh, an astronaut. And this astronaut uh, is a very lonely character. And he's looking, he's looking to be reunited with his father. And so kind of the subtext of the movie is this search for his father in, in this vast space. What's interesting is that while Pitt was uh, shooting this part, his own personal life was in turmoil. He had divorced from his wife. Uh, he was working out custody issues with their children. He was battling, once again, his own demons of alcoholism. And um, in an interview with New York Times, he talked about going to an AA group. And this is what he described about that group. He said, you had all these men sitting around being open and honest in a way I had never heard. And then he went on to say it was a, quote, safe place with little judgment, end quote. What Brad needed 
was community. He needed people around him. And what he really desperately needs is Christian community. And that's what you need. And that's what I need. We need people around us that are going to help us in our discouraging seasons of life. What do we do when we're discouraged? Well, look at verse 24. He said, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, some versions say, let us consider how we may provoke one another on to love and good deeds. But this version says, let's watch out for each other. And I like that better, all right? That's the idea behind it. Let's watch out for each other. Let me ask you something. Now, this is an honest question. I want you to lean in. I really want you to answer it in your mind. Who is watching out for you? Is there anybody? Is there anybody that's watching out for you? Is there anybody that when you start to get discouraged, they're going to be calling you up and saying, hey, man, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. He said, let's encourage you, let, let, let's uh, watch out for one another and provoke one another on to good works. That word provoke literally means to prod, all right? It's like a stick that they would use to, to prod a mule, all right, to get it to do what it's supposed to do. Who's in your life that's kind of prodding you in a godly way, all right, prodding you to do the things you need to do? Who's saying, hey, man, you weren't in church Sunday. I'll come pick you up next week. Or, hey, let's go out to eat because I know you've been struggling a bit. Hey, I didn't see you in group last week. Hey, why don't we get together and, and reconnect? Hey, uh, hey let's, let's go serve in that project. Let's do that local engagement deal. Let, let's go overseas. Let's go, let's go on that mission trip together. Who is prodding you and encouraging you and helping you to live the life that God made you live? We all need someone to watch out for us. Someone to prod us and not to quit, to encourage us to hang on there. The only antidote for discouragement is Christian community. I really believe that. The antidote for discouragement is people around you that will love you and encourage you to walk with God. You gotta have it. Listen, I, I talk about these dangers. I said the detached life is a dangerous life. We talked about the dangers that are, that are there. And listen, I'm not trying to scare you into Christian community. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm your pastor, right? And I love you and I want you to grow and walk with God. And I'm telling you that those dangers are real. If you live life alone, one of them will get you. That's why we need a family. That's why we need each other. That's why you need the church and the church needs you. So what do you do? with this. What, what should you do? Let me give you just very quickly two things to do to act on what I've just shared with you. The first thing is this. Your first step is to acknowledge that the dangers are real. To acknowledge that dangers are real. To understand that if I don't get in community, these things are going to happen in my life. I can't just come in and audit a service and leave and, and everything is good. I need relationships. I need people around me. And I know what you're thinking. There's some of you, and I know exactly, I can read minds, and sort of, and, and I know what you're thinking. Here's what some of you are thinking. Here's, well, here's what you're saying. You're saying, you're, you're thinking this. Well, Craig, I don't really need that. I mean, I, I get that other people need that, but I don't need that. You see, I don't need a group in the church because, you see, I, uh, 
I got these friends at school and I got these friends at work and they're Christians and so we talk about it and then I've got these friends from my other church that I used to go to and we still stay in contact with each other. So I got a lot of Christian people around me that, that know me and so I don't really need a group in the church. I don't need people in the church. In fact, I'm not despairing. I'm not doubting God. I'm not drifting. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need that. I'm fine. I'm good. All right, so... Now that I've read your mind, uh, let's say that you're right. Let's say you're right. You and I are sitting across the table from lunch and you just told me that. And I said, okay, I'll push back and say, okay, all right, you're right. You don't need Christian community. You got it. You're good. You don't need that. But there's somebody in our church that does. Somebody in our church is drifting. Somebody in our church is very discouraged. Somebody here is doubting whether God's good. And they need you to reach out to them, to hold on to them, to watch out for them. And if you're not there, no one's helping them. Sometimes Christian community is not just about what you get, it's about what you give. And the more mature you are in your faith, the more it's about giving than getting. So acknowledge that the the danger is real. It really is. And the second thing is you need to choose to surround yourself with people that are in Christian community. Surround yourself with with Christian community. You say, well, how do I do that? I mean, I don't really know what I would do to do that. Well, let me give you just a couple of simple ways. First, very easy way is to just get on the website. Go to the church website and you will find when you get on the website a whole page on Connect groups. Connect groups are the place where you can experience Christian community. And you get on there and you can scroll through and see all the different types of groups, life stages of groups, all different options. We have many, many, many groups, but all different life stages. We have one that will fit you. Second thing you can do, and this is even simpler, is you can barely lean forward and pick up that card that's in front of you, okay? Call the Connect, uh, connect card. And if you look on that card, there's actually a little a little uh, statement there says, I'd like more information about how to find and join a connect group. You can check that little bubble, sign your name on it, and drop that in the wooden box by the exit on the do- uh, at the doors today. You are literally a foot and a half away from biblical community, all right? I can't make it any easier for you folks other than me coming to your house, okay? I can't make it any easier. All you got to do is reach over, pull that thing out, sign your name, phone number, check that box, drop it in the wooden box as you go out the door and someone will call you this week and say, hey, let's talk about your family, let's talk about your life, let's talk about what your needs are, how we can find you the best group for you. You can talk to a pastor, listen, but you got to choose to do something. All right, listen to me. The detached life is a dangerous life. Jesus never saved you for that. He saved you to put you in a family. And when we're in community, we're stronger.